Let's remember that this great God condescends, comes to our level to walk with us, to lead us, to prepare our hearts. God, you have declared that your kingdom is among us. Open our eyes to see it. Open our ears to hear it. Open our hearts to hold it and our hands to serve within it. This we pray in the strong name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning comes from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. If you'll pull out your pew Bible, it's on page 236 in the New Testament and as we journey through this passage this morning, I would encourage you to keep your Bibles open. If you're visiting with us this morning, we've been working through First and First Peter and Second Peter, um, written to the church in the first century, sometime around 67 A.D. And just by way of um, background, First Peter is written to the church to encourage them in the midst of a culture that is uh, opposing them. And 2 Peter is actually written to the church to encourage them in the midst of false teachers within the church who are mocking the promises of God and also warning the church to not become complacent or weary in their discipleship and their walk with Christ. So Peter is exhorting every disciple in 2 Peter to put all of their energy into your growth in Christ while you wait patiently for the fulfillment of God's promises. And Peter wants to assure us in 2 Peter 
that God's promises are worth the wait. So, what does this type of waiting look like for us? 2 Peter chapter 1. Hear God's word. Simeon Peter, a servant or slave, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith as precious as ours through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be yours in abundance in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything needed for life and godliness through knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Thus he has given us through these things his precious and very great promises so that through them you may escape from the corruption that is in the world because of lust and may become participants of the divine nature. For this very reason, you must make every effort to support your faith with goodness. Goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with mutual affection, and mutual affection with love. For if these things are yours and are increasing among you, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For anyone who lacks these things is nearsighted. I don't know how many of you are nearsighted, but I am both now nearsighted and farsighted. Anyone who lacks these things is nearsighted and blind and is forgetful of the cleansing of past sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more eager to confirm your call and election. For if you do this, you will never stumble. For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be richly provided for you. Church, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm going to start this morning by a question. Have you ever made a promise that you couldn't keep? Some of you are shaking your head. You don't need to, no, no need to confess it this morning, but you're, some of you are shaking your head. Well, it's interesting because Peter did. Peter said, Lord, I will lay down my life for you. And we know what happened. Not too long after that, he's in the garden, Jesus is arrested, and the woman walks up and says, you, you were with that man. You're, you're one of his followers. And Peter said, never knew him. Have you ever made a promise that you kept? Peter did. Tradition says that Peter was crucified upside down in Rome. Upside down because he did not feel that he was worthy of being crucified in the same manner as Christ. Jesus kept his promise to Peter to be with him. Peter kept his promise to Jesus. I will die for you and for the church. Have you ever waited for a promise made to you to be fulfilled? 
Peter knows that waiting for us is hard. He's had plenty of failures in waiting and being patient. And Peter wants to focus us on the promise maker, who is God, and the faithfulness of the promise maker, God, who is the promise keeper. The second part of Peter's focus is on the waiters, us, the church. While we are waiting, what are we called to be doing? While we wait for the fulfillment of God's promises and the return of Christ, what is it that we are about? What is the work that we are doing? Peter is waiting. And while Peter is waiting, he is doing the work that Jesus called him to do. Jesus said to Peter, feed my lambs. So Peter is spending the rest of his life living into this new identity as slave and apostle. Slave and apostle. Think about that. He's growing into this new orientation from fisherman to shepherd. That's a big vocational change. Some of you have gone through that in your life. I know I have in mine. And if we were to read this letter for chapter 1, 2, and 3, whole cloth this morning, like they would have in the early church, you might walk away summarizing it with three words. Wow! Whoops. Wow! Chapter 1 is the wow. N.T. Wright comments in his commentary, every sentence, every word almost glitters and flashes. Every idea beckons and says, look at me, this is fascinating. And it is. In this, the earliest of Christian letters to the church, Peter reminds us again and again and again and again in this letter what God wants for his church. Chapter 2 is the whoops or the uh-oh. This section begins with the word but. It's the stop word in the scriptures. Often it's the oops word. And it's the reason why Peter's writing this letter. He says, grow in your faith here and now in the midst of false teachers who are within the church. And those false teachers within the church are mocking and scoffing the promises of God. Oops. When I gave my sermon title to Leah, she verbally gave it to somebody in the office, and they wrote down this title, Promises Worth Debate, which is chapter two, which is so funny. Promises Worth Debate. That's what they were doing in the church. They were debating and mocking the promises of God. Peter wants us to know God's promises are worth the wait. Peter doesn't want us to stumble in our faith and he warns us that it's easier to get lost on this path of discipleship than you or I may think. Chapter 3 is the wow. Peter comes back around to remind us of God's promises. And I don't know about you, but under stress, I become pretty forgetful. In the last couple of weeks, I've locked myself out of my car, out of my house. I have burned two pots. And the big one that I couldn't remember in the first hour because I was under too much stress is I forgot how to drive my car the other day. It's a manual transmission. I couldn't remember which was the brake and which was the clutch. I've taken a vacation since all of those, which is a good thing. But Peter assures us again and again 
that God's promises are worth the wait. And he exhorts us in this time to live holy and godly lives while we're waiting. And if God seems slow, this is what Peter answers. Why is God so slow? Why isn't the Lord coming? Where is he? You said he was going to come. I don't see him coming. Peter says this. Chapter 3, verse 8. Church, do not ignore this one fact, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promises, as some think of slowness, but is patient with you. Wow, thank you. Not wanting any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So, church, regard the patience of the Lord as salvation as his kindness. Have you ever waited for a promise made to you to be fulfilled? I have. In 1972, my family was, my dad was transferred from Toledo, Ohio to Apple Valley, California. We didn't know a soul in California. Our whole Polish family was there in Ohio. And we were the only grandchildren of my mom's Parents, we were their darlings. Who wants to leave that? We'd spend almost every weekend with them. And true, even though the Brady Bunch was filmed and they lived in California, and that was our favorite show, that wasn't even enough to get us to want to move to California. So my parents made us a promise. Here's the promise. They would find a house where we each would have our own rooms. We already had our own rooms, so that wasn't very good. It's like, yeah, we already have that. A really nice room. Here's the second promise. The house would have a built-in swimming pool. Well, now there you go. <laughs> because built-in swimming pools didn't exist in Ohio. You had those plastic ones, you know, that you fill up with water, and they sort of, you know, it's just, they smell like plastic. Not, not too much fun. Wow, okay, built-in swimming pool. With a diving board, we said. Okay, with a diving board. And a slide. And a slide. Okay. Third promise. We would each have our own horse. Wow. Wow. You see, I think I imagined in my 10-year-old brain that having a horse would be just like living on the set of the Rifleman or Bonanza or the Ponderosa. I was so excited. I mean, I'd have the horse, I'd have the hat, I'd have the clothes, I'd have the boots. It turns out there was a whole lot more that it took to have horses that those TV shows didn't tell us. Whoops. We had to take lessons on how to care for the horse, how to saddle it up, how to ride it. We had to feed them before we went to school and at night when we came home. And on cold and snowy mornings, we'd have to go down with a hammer and break the ice in the water, you know, so that the horses could drink. And then Saturday mornings, instead of watching cartoons like we used to in Ohio, we had to go down and rake the stalls. You know how much product comes from three horses? <laughs> Just trying to think of how to say that. And we'd have to mend the fences. It took a whole lot of effort to take care of three horses. But for that long Saturday ride 
out through the desert. I would ride bareback, and my horse would just gallop and gallop. Suddenly, I was a world-famous cowgirl, explorer, out through the desert on my own. What freedom. Oh, my goodness, what joy. Wow. Worth every moment of the effort and made even sweeter because of it, probably. Yep, it was a promise worth the wait. It was a promise worth living into. But it was a promise that was temporary and fading. Peter reminds us that human promises are just a shadow of God's promises to us because God's promises are both now and forever. So what sort of people, what sort of church are we to be while we live in the here and now of our waiting? Look at verse 1, 1 through 4 there. Peter says, you and I have received a faith as valuable as Peter's through the righteousness of Christ. You see, in the kingdom of God, there are no first-class seats, business class, economy, backseat accommodations. What he wants us to know is that if you are a one-minute, one-hour, one-day, ten-day, ten-year, fifty-year, a hundred-year, Ricky, disciple, you have received the same faith as Peter, James, and John, and the apostles. Wow. Because faith, church, comes as a gift to be received. And Christ, notice verse 3, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. How? Through knowing Christ. Christ who called you and called me by his own glory and his own goodness. And this gift of grace and of peace and righteousness comes with promise. His divine power, the very spirit of God within us, gives us everything we need for life. Jesus said, I have come so that you may have life. And not just life, but what does he, he like take the, okay, I have come that you may have life. No, that, that's not at all what he says. I have come, he says, that you might have life and have it in what? Abundance. That's where we get the Greek word, it's plethora. Like you said, countable. It's too much to even count. And this divine power comes through the knowledge of Christ who called us by his own glory and goodness. Get to know Christ. Get to know Christ. I love what John, in the Gospel of John, says the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory. The glory as of a father's only son full of grace and truth. And from his fullness, you and I have received grace upon grace. Wow, now that's a promise. And in him was life to all who received him, who believed in his name. He gave the power to become children of God, born not of blood or will of the flesh, but born of God. I just can't help but wonder if Peter's remembering the, the moment that his own eyes were opened. And Jesus said, Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus is really quick to say, look, Peter, this is, you don't get this from your own spiritual insight. 
The Father has given this insight to you. Blessed are you. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, this confession, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will never prevail against it. Now that's a promise worth waiting for and living into. And God has given to us through Christ his precious and fantastic, that's a better translation, his fantastic, his fantastic promises so that through them we may escape corruption and hear this, we become participants in the divine nature. Wow. Church, God is our benefactor. We are his children. You are heirs of the promise. This is what Christ has done for us in baptism. We're raised from death to walk in newness of life. We have received adoption as the children of God. And so we're welcomed into this fellowship of the Trinity. The fellowship, the koinonia, the fellowship of the Trinity. You and I are invited into that. We become joint heirs and co-workers with the Father and with the Son, equipped by the Holy Spirit to do God's work. Wow. Come in, come in, Jesus is saying. Come, come. Even right now in this moment, as we gather for worship, Christ is calling, come, follow me. Are you thirsty? I will give you living water. Are you weary? Are you tired of striving? Look, I will give you rest for your souls. Are you hungry? Come and eat. I am the bread of life. Come to me, Christ says, I made you to know me and to have life in abundance. And even as we gather for worship right now in this space, we participate in what God is doing in the world. Wow. This is God's hope for us, church, that we would grow up into the fullness of understanding and living into these promises. In verses 5 through 7, here's the exhortation of how we are to be in the here and now of our waiting. Imitate the character of the good person who's the benefactor. Put on Christ. Support your faith, and this word in the Greek is a sense of nourish. Nourish your faith in this way. And at the time that Peter's writing, the good life was only within the realm of the rich and the educated. But Jesus is saying the good life now is available, free, to those who receive it, to the rich and to the poor, to the slave and to the free, to the slave and to the master, to men and women, that's unheard of to Greek and to Jew, it would have been astonishing. The good life is available now in Christ to all. Why? Because Christ died because God so loved the world. And so Peter urges us to do this. Nourish your faith, which is a gift, with goodness. Goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, this word is hope, and endurance or hope with godliness, and godliness with mutual affection, and mutual affection with love. And I put my hands out so that you know that this word love is agape. And in living this sort of life, we're not ascending some sort of moral ladder of virtues to greater and greater heights of spirituality. 
No. It's the Philippians text. Christ, his agape love is self-emptying love. It's the kind of love that comes down, right? Because he did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped or exploited. But instead, he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, taking on human form. He humbled himself even to the point of death. Yes, even death on a cross. That's where this text moves. Put on mutual, mutual affection and nourish mutual affection with love. Well, what is love? That's the question. Love is Christ. So nourish your faith with these things that are characteristic of Christ. Goodness. Church, bear fruit. He's told you what is good. He's told you what the Lord requires of you. But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God. Nourish that goodness with knowledge. They probably understood that he was talking about the great Shema. Love the Lord with everything in you and love your neighbor as yourself. Nourish knowledge with self-control. We don't like that word in this time. Self-control. That's a bad word. I had a friend who just came back from India after 25 years. She was serving in Nepal with Wycliffe. And she said, I said, what do you notice that's different between when you left and now when you came, have come back about this culture? And there's many, many things, but one stood out to her. She said, Beth, I really think that our culture, America, is addicted to entertainment. hard to be still. But you're here. You're being still. You're listening. It's very countercultural. Self-control, discernment or spiritual wisdom. It's asking the question, what is Jesus doing here and now? Grow in your ability to see that and to walk in the way of Christ. And this wisdom will keep you, Peter says, from stumbling and falling away from the faith. And nourish your self-control with hope. Wait on God. Abide in Christ through difficult seasons, difficult days, and through trials. Never forget, Jesus said, Lo, I am with you always, even until the very end of the world. And nourish your endurance then with godliness or usefulness. Peter warns us to never grow complacent, church. Never think that you've arrived or you've done enough. And nourish usefulness with mutual affection. The word is Philadelphia. It's now fraternal affection for the family of Christ takes on even more importance than blood and family ties. Let your love be genuine. Outdo one another, showing mutual affection. Outdo one another. Wow, what a witness that would be, wouldn't it? Outdo one another in showing honor and mutual affection. And finally, nourish mutual affection with love. Love is patient, love is kind. It's not envious or arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Promises worth the wait. What is true right now is that we see in a mirror dimly. What is even more true is that we will see him face to face. 
What is true right now is that we understand only in part. But what is promised is that we will understand completely. And what is true right now is that faith, hope, and love abide. And while these abide, what is promised is that love lasts forever. These are promises worth the wait. I don't know about you, but I've been watching the Olympics. And I've been thinking about this passage. And I think that our faith journey is more like training while running a marathon. And there with us and at the end is Christ. And I love the image in Hebrews 12. On this road of discipleship, we are surrounded by the cheering crowd, the great cloud of witnesses. And they're cheering us on to run this race that's set before you. But look only to Jesus, who is the pioneer and perfecter of your faith. The one who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, its shame and its suffering, and is seated right now at the right hand of the Father. And at the finish line, you and I don't receive a bronze or a silver or a gold. We receive the victor's crown of life. Well done, good and faithful servant. And I think that crown may be important for us so that when we come before the throne of God, we will have something to offer him out of gratitude for all that Christ has done. Church, these are fantastic promises worth the wait. And as we approach 100 years here in Laguna, I think Peter is saying to us, Laguna Presbyterian Church, be eager, even more eager to confirm your call and election. Nourish a vibrant relationship with Christ. Continue with all the energy that is in you, discovering how great love God's love is. Develop spiritual gifts. Equip disciples of every age for ministry and demonstrate love in Christ. Yes, here and now and to the ends of the earth. In this way, church, we confirm our call and our election. In doing this, we will never stumble in our faith. And it is in this way that we glorify God until the day that we see him face to face. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, great is thy faithfulness, O Lord. Morning by morning, new mercies we see. All we have needed, you have provided for us in Christ. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. Help us to nourish the gift of faith. Help us to be your church in the here and now of our waiting. Until we see you face to face. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In response to the word and out of gratitude, we bring our morning tithes and offerings, and I invite the ushers now to come forward. Perfect ways. All I have. 
Let us join together in prayer. Father God, thank you for your shared word that brings fullness to our life. Your divine power has given us everything we need to fulfill your call on our lives. The promise to participate in your divine nature so that we as your servants may be fruitful in this community which you have placed us. We are truly grateful for the promise of eternal life with our Father bestowed upon us by the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray for those who are lost and hurting. May they see the light of your love and grace. For this church that has glorified your name for 100 years, may we grow in your strength and courage. Let your name never grow dim in this your house. For those in the city who are homeless and seemingly without hope. May they find that hope in you. Give us your compassion and care for our brothers and sisters. And for those who lead your church, that they may be inspired by your spirit, refreshed by your embrace, strengthened by your presence. We give thanks for the freedom we enjoy to come together in your name and worship. And we lift up those who suffer persecution for your sake. 
May your spirit empower them with strength and courage and faith. And we pray that we may use this offering that you have so generally first given to us to glorify and hold high the name of Jesus. And we join together to pray the prayer that you gave us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. As a sign and an extension of the hospitality of God, may we extend to each other the peace of Christ this morning. And so I say to you, church, as you go from this place, may you grow in your faith to love and serve the Lord, and may you know that he is with you now and to the very end of the age. The peace of Christ be with you. Go to love and serve the Lord.